reading this morning is taken from the Gospel of John, chapter 13, verses 34 and 35. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. Good morning, church. It's good to see everybody here today. Um, three weeks ago, we talked about the greatest commands. That's the last song that we uh, sang beautifully this morning. So good to hear. Jesus tells us that the greatest commandment is really, it boils down to this one word, love. He says that we ought to love God and other people. The entirety of the Bible is summed up in this greatest commandment. In that every commandment that we see in scripture is provided for us so that we can facilitate and demonstrate our love for God and for the people around us. Now you can see the centrality of this word to our Christian faith and devotion. It's right there. It's at the crux of what we do in this world. In fact, in uh, the love chapter in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, it tells us that it doesn't matter who you are, it doesn't matter what you know, it doesn't matter what you do, if you do not have love, you are nothing. And in 1 John 4, 7 and 8, one of my favorite passages in scripture, in scripture, it tells us that we ought to love one another because God is of, because love is of God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. And if we do not love, we do not know God. For God is love. Love is essential in our faith and practice. Because we ought to love God and other people. And so, three weeks ago, we focused on the first part of the greatest commandment. We focused on our love for God, loving God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. This morning, we are going to focus on the second part of the greatest commandment, which is loving others like Jesus did. So this morning, I would like to talk to you about loving like Jesus. And what we're going to do this morning is we're going to focus our attention on John 13, verses 34 and 35, this passage right here. And uh, what we're going to do is we're going to highlight three things in this passage that will help us better understand what, it is, what it's like to love people like Jesus did. John 13, 34 to 35. A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So the first thing that I want to highlight in this passage is this term right here. A new command. This is a command. Because you know what? It's not natural. It's, it's hard to love other people. Okay? For being honest about it. But God wanted us to purposely and intentionally love people. Because love is the image of God that's at the center of who we are. We, we represent God by the love that we have, because He is love. So it's a command. But what is new about this command? What is new about it? It's actually, it's old. 
In fact, remember when Jesus was asked by a Jewish leader, out of all the 613 commandments in the Old Testament, what is the greatest? This was his answer. What he did was he chose two passages in the Old Testament that he put together and he said, this is the greatest commandment. This is it right here in Mark 12, 29 to 31. The first part of that we talked about three weeks ago, which is in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 and 5. He says, this is the most important one. Love the Lord your God with all of your being, with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's who you are. And the second, he says, is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. This is what we're talking about today. But what is so new about this? Because this was taken hundreds of years before Jesus was even born. So this is nothing new to this. This was taken from Leviticus 19 verse 18. Love your neighbor as yourself. Okay? In this particular passage, the standard was, uh, I love people by the way that I love myself. That's the standard. But the question remains, well, do, do you love yourself? Do I love myself enough to love other people? See, there's a lot of gray areas in there, especially today. When people see this, yeah, it's very subjective. Like, it could be very subjective because it depends on how you love yourself, the way that you're going to love people. If the standard is you, if the standard is me, it's, it gets iffy sometimes, right? But it's okay. Because this morning, we're going to look at how Jesus enjoined this particular commandment to our time today. And this is our scripture reading this morning. That's why here it's new. And the reason why it's new, because he changed the standard. Do you guys see it? The standard is, now, is no longer, you love people like you love yourself. The standard is now this. You love people like I have loved you. Can you guys see how vastly different that is? Between the standard of loving yourself and the standard of how Jesus loves you, hugely different. And it's way better that Jesus commanded this to us because now we have a model that we can follow. We can literally learn from Jesus and see how he loved us. And that's the question now is, how did Jesus love his disciples? How did he do it? I mean, we can answer that in so many ways. There's innumerable ways that Jesus loves us today. And the, the ways that he loved his disciples. But what I'm going to give is a, is a few here that really, uh, if, we, if we see it, we're going to understand the crux and the, and, the, and the point of loving as Jesus did. So this is how Jesus loved his disciples. First, he spent time with them. Okay, I love reading the scriptures, especially when it comes to reading things like this. Mark 2, 13 to 14. Once again, Jesus went out beside the lake. A large crowd came to him and he began to teach them. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus. Levi was his uh, Hebrew name. We, we know him better as Matthew because that was his Roman name. Okay? So Matthew, the tax collector. He wrote the first book of the New Testament, Matthew. Okay? He was a tax collector. He was sitting at a tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him. And Levi got up and followed him. So he zoned in. Jesus zoned in to, uh, on a tax collector. 
We know what a tax collector was in the time of the in the time of Jesus. Tax collectors were people were people who are hated. They were sinners. They could not be part of the Jewish community, the religious community of the Jewish people. In fact, if you are a self-respecting Jew, you would not spend any time with a tax collector. But Jesus called him to follow him. But wait, there's more. Jesus, in Mark 2 verse 15, we see this happen. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, so he goes over to his house to eat at a tax collector's house. Many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. He was not only with Matthew, the tax collector, but he was with Matthew's other tax collector friends eating with him there. Jesus spent time with those who are vulnerable. He spent time with those he understands needs to be saved, who needed him. But then we see this verse right here. One of my favorite passages that I saw preparing for this lesson today. Mark 3, 13 to 14. Jesus went up on a mountainside and called to him those he wanted. And they came to him. And I want you to pay attention to this. He appointed 12 that they might be with him. You see that? That they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach. He spent time with them so he could mentor them and disciple them. So that they can do his work. Jesus understood the, 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 the importance of spending time when building relationships. Because when we talk about loving God and loving others, we're talking about relationships. And that takes time. Right? It doesn't just happen, you know, naturally. You have to be intentional about that. And Jesus was intentional about loving people as he spent time with them. Next, Jesus was very patient with his disciples. You guys understand the 12 disciples were just normal people like me and you. Jesus chose normal people to follow him that he would make into leaders or fishers of men like we are today. They made many boo-boos and blunders. They had many weaknesses. It's a... uh, interesting, because remember in Luke chapter 9, there were things in there that the apostles did that were really weird and not good. One of them was the, the, the 12 disciples were arguing which one was the best out of all the disciples. He, like, who is the greatest among us in front of Jesus? Like, have you not realized that Jesus is all about humility and humbling yourself and serving others? They haven't figured that out, although Jesus was teaching them that, okay? But that happened in Luke 9. And then in Luke chapter 9 as well, at the, at the bottom of the chapter, Jesus was on his way back to Jerusalem where he would eventually be crucified, arrested and crucified. He wanted to pass through a Samaritan town, a particular Samaritan town, but that Samaritan town did not want anything to do with him. He said, no, you can't pass by here. And the apostles were very angry for Jesus. James and John were so angry that he said, Hey, Jesus, do you want us to call fire from heaven so that they can be destroyed? And you know, in these two instances, you know what Jesus did? Jesus told them the truth with grace. 
That's what he did. He was gracious to them. In John chapter 1 verse 14, we see the many things that Jesus was referred to. He was, he was referred as. He was referred as somebody who is full of grace and truth. He led with grace when dealing with truth. Because if we don't deal with grace, if we don't lead with grace when we're dealing with truth, man, what's going to happen is 1 Corinthians chapter 8 verse 1. Knowledge is going to puff us up. We're going to be arrogant and we're not going to love because love builds up. It doesn't puff up. That's what Jesus did. Next, Jesus loved them to the end. Like, look at this verse right here. John 13, verse 1. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them. He loved his disciples to the end. And we know what the end of Jesus' life was. He ended his life here on earth giving his life as a sacrifice on the cross. That is what he did. And that is one of the last things that we're going to, this is the last thing that we're going to identify here as the way that Jesus loved his disciples, the way that he loved us. Jesus served and gave. Matthew 20, 28, this was his mission statement right here when he came to earth. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Jesus gave and served. Now, sometimes it's hard for us to relate to the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. You know what I'm saying? Because maybe we've heard it before so many times. Maybe our parents told this to us a lot of times and we see it a lot in media, in magazines or in print. Jesus died for you and me, like big deal, right? It's hard for us to understand that this is the epitome, like at the crux of what Jesus' love did for me and you. This is the definition of the greatest love of all. Jesus dying for us on the cross. But it's hard for us to relate to it. Maybe because we haven't really answered the question, probably, what does it mean to me that Jesus died on the cross? I mean, we talk about it every Sunday. You know what I... For me, the way I relate the love of Jesus on the cross to my life, the way I relate it to myself every single time, is I think about two words. These two words right here. Guilt and shame. Do you guys know the difference between guilt and shame? We all have this. Guilt and shame. Guilt is something personal. You know what you've done. It doesn't matter if people know it. You know what you've done. So you have guilt. It's in there. It's in here. It's personal. I know what I have done. I know the things that I have done against God. That's guilt in my heart. But you know what shame is? Shame is similar. Similar feeling, but different. Different setting. Shame is public. I know what I have done, but what if you guys find out about it? Then it would be shameful for me. That's why many people live in guilt 
And it tears them apart. They don't want to tell people because they don't want to, they don't want shame to take over their life as well. But shame is real. When I've done something and people know about it, I don't want, I don't want to be with people. But here's the deal. The way that I relate the cross to my life is that I know that Jesus on that cross took my guilt and my shame away. You know in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, it says there that God made him who had no sin to be sin so that we can be his righteousness. He became sin there. And in my mind, oh, maybe that's why God the Father was able to forsake him when he was on the cross. Remember, that's one of his last words, probably his last words. Father, why have you forsaken me? You know why? Because the anger of God, the wrath of God that was supposed to be for me, was directed to Jesus now. Because he bore my sins on the cross. But shame. Did he suffer shame on the cross? Well, I tell you what. (laughs) Roman crucifixion, the person who's being crucified, they're up there naked. Did you guys know that? When Jesus was being flogged, can you imagine being flogged and not wearing anything? Imagine carrying your cross with your back like really bloody from the flop from the from the scourging and you're naked and you're crucified for everybody to see and you're naked can you imagine the shame because crucifixions were intended to humiliate the person on the cross before they died did you can you imagine like Jesus before he, w- he was even crucified, was, was humiliated before he was even, while well, he was in trial. The biblical accounts tell us that he was slapped in the face. He was, you know, like he was slapped in the face. And there were, you know, th- there were many people slapping him and punching him. And people were telling him, hey, if you're really God, what's my name? What's the name of the person who slapped you? They were doing that to him. And in one account, this is, this is one of the things that really like break my heart about this. One of the things that they did to Jesus was they would, I, I don't grow facial hair very well, but I can appreciate that what, one of the things that they did to Jesus was they, they were pulling his beard like this when he was there being humiliated. Jesus bore my shame on the cross. You know, he bore my guilt on the cross and he replaced it with repentance and godly sorrow. He bore my shame on the cross and he replaced it with joy. That is what God's love has done for us. You know, I love the song that we sang there earlier. Um, our very own Charlotte Kowalson and Liz Turner wrote it. Remember? In the tune of Twinkle Twinkle Little Star. Shining brightly like a star. Do you know how loved you are? 
This is then the next question and the last question that we're going to answer today. Since we understand this new command has a new standard, and that standard is we love people the way that Jesus loves us, how then do we apply this in our lives? How then do we love one another as Jesus loved us? For this one, I turn to the love chapter in 1 Corinthians 13. We've seen this. You've heard this at weddings. But we love this chapter. We love this particular passage in Scripture because it tells us what love is not and what love is. And in doing so, it does it in a practical way that we can, when we read it, we understand what love is and we understand how we are supposed to apply it in our lives today. Love is patient. Love takes time. We need to give people time to change. And we need to give ourselves margin to love because this is who we are. We are lovers. God made us in relationship so that we can love. So we need to plan to love. We need to understand that when we love others, it's going to take time. It's going to take up our resources. It's going to take up money. It's going to take up our efforts. It's going to take up our abilities. And it's going to come with so many risks. We can be hurt. But we need to be patient about it. Love is kind. The kind of love that God wants us to, to have is this love that's unconditional. We understand this. Agape love. Right? There's many. In, in the English language, there's love is love. Like, you know, we say, I love ice cream. Like, we would say, I love my wife. But back in, uh, in, 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 in old, old Greek, they have love for many different things. And the, and the utmost love that you can have is what we're talking about here is called agape love. Unconditional love. The love that God has for us. The love that Jesus showed on the cross. And the love that God calls us to have with one another. Right? Love one another. The word love there is from the word agape. Okay? But it's hard for us to understand it. Let alone explain it to other people so that they can understand it as well. But the best way that we can relate agape love to people, you know how? This word right here. Kindness. People understand kindness. When people see you as kind to them, they see love. They understand love. That's how our kids understand love. That's how my wife understands love. That's how your spouse understands love. But sometimes it's difficult. Because we only love people that we like. Right? We don't love people. We don't, we're not kind to people who dress differently than us. Because, oh yeah, they, 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 they dress weird. We don't like people who speak differently than us because we say, oh, their language is weird. We don't like people who eat differently than us because, you know what, they eat weird food. Like, you know, like they put in a bowl ramen and pierogies at the same time. It's weird. We don't want to eat that. You eat that. I don't want to eat that. And I, I don't want to be with you because you eat that. We, we, we don't want that for people. We don't, we don't want that with people. It's hard. But I want to take this home. Right? Well, I want to take this one close to home. Okay? Since love is kind, I want to ask us this question. And this is meant to challenge us, not to make us feel bad. Okay? 
Are you kind to your spouse? Would your kids describe you as kind? Would my kids describe me as kind? That's the question. Because when they do, then we understand that the love of God is ruling in our homes. It does not envy. When somebody meets with success, we're not jealous. We're, oh, I, I hate that they're, I hate that uh, so and so is promoted at work. Instead, because we love like Jesus does, we rejoice with them. We're happy for them. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not, it's not, it's not selfish. It doesn't put ourselves up on a pedestal. It doesn't say, what I know is better than what you know. I am better than you. You serve me, I don't serve you. It does not dishonor others. When the other person is wrong, it doesn't gloat. I go, I told you so. It doesn't do that. It doesn't humiliate the other person. It respects the other person. It is not self-seeking. It is not selfish. You know, a lot of times we're self-seeking, we're selfish, because we only know what we know, and we think what we know is the best thing that's ever happened in life. That what you know is better than what everybody else knows. And that you don't have a blind spot whatsoever. There's nothing in this world that you don't know. So when you talk to other people, it doesn't matter what they say. It only matters what you say. Do you guys know the best thing about an ego is? The best thing about an ego is its vision. That's why we say eagle eye. An ego can see like with fine detail from two miles away. Two miles away, it can see what we can see like this with fine detail. Two miles away. It knows if it sees a green snake on green grass from two miles away, it can see it clearly. That's what eagles do. Do you guys know what's special about dolphins? It can hear from 24 kilometers away. Can't do that. Why am I talking about this? Does this even connect to not self-seeking? It does. Because I want us to realize that we have our abilities and we have our weaknesses as well. And if we are self-seeking, if we are selfish, we are not going to realize that. We are not going to have provision for the other person to, to respect them enough to know that they have their own weaknesses and strengths. And so we need to love them patiently and kindly. It is not easily angered because it's patient. It keeps no record of wrongs. We understand that, you know, we say it all the time. We need to forgive and forget like God does. But a lot of times we, we misunderstand that. We think in our minds, if I am to forgive and forget, that means I have to force myself to be forgetful. Like, it's like I need to have an amnesia before I can forgive and forget. But I can't, so I can't forgive and forget. But that's not what it means. Being able to forgive and forget means being able to not keep a record of wrongs in your pocket. That you pull out 
Every single time you're annoyed at somebody, that you're upset at somebody, you throw their weaknesses back at their face when it's convenient for you. That is not love. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. When we really love each other and other people, we are going to identify wrongdoings. And we are going to face them head on. We're going to address them. We're going to talk about it. And we're going to support each other so that we can undo what has been done wrong. That is what we will do. That is what Jesus did. And this is when we deal with guilt and shame. We will support people with that because they have done something wrong. We will be there for them like Jesus was there for us. And this is one of my favorite parts of 1 Corinthians 13, 4 to 7, is verse 7. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. I love this part because it tells us that if we truly love like Jesus does, we are going to give people the benefit of the doubt. Yes, it's a biblical notion, the benefit of the doubt. We are going to tell people, we are going to have the best reason or the best ever explanation for the other person on why they did what they did. You know, in psychology, there's this term called fundamental attribution error. I know it's a fancy name, but the concept is simple. Say somebody's late, okay? Somebody's late. When somebody's late or always talks too much, like me, you guys know what I'm talking about, we attribute um, a characteristic to that person because of what they do. If somebody's always late, they say, well, we, we, say, we don't say, oh, he's always late. We say this, he's lazy. He's irresponsible. Not that he's late, but he's irresponsible. Or when they talk too much, oh, he's, he's disrespectful. But when we are late, and when we take too much time talking, you know what we tell ourselves? We give ourselves the benefit of the doubt. Not them, but us, yes. I'm late because it's traffic. I'm late because there's so many other things that I have to do. Okay, so I'm okay being late. But you being late, not cool, because you're lazy. Me being late, cool, because I'm not lazy, because I have a reason. Love takes care of that. You see it here? Love takes care of that. Because when something wrong happens, we protect, we trust, we hope, we persevere for the sake of the person who did the wrongdoing. We don't see them lying on the ground and we start kicking them. That's not the time. We help them up and we hug them, we embrace them, and we empower them. I know that's a lot of things to say, but let me give you like, a, uh, like an application in our, in our daily life. You know, last week I was at Jacob's, my son's uh, swimming lesson. It's doing well. But you know, you're a, you're, you're, many of you are parents, right? Or if you're not a parent, you, 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 many of you have kids that you spend time with. You can see kids things that, that they're doing wrong so easily, right? Like I see that my, my, like Jacob was struggling there. Like he was doing the front crawl, he's doing like this. And then he was, so he was doing it improperly because he was not rolling, right? He was not rolling, so the breathing is not there and the technique is not there. So he's going like this. 
and he was tired. I can see that. I wanted to go over there. I wanted to tell him. But, you know, that was me. That was my struggle. Okay? But I know God has taken my guilt and shame on the cross. So I can tell you this. You see, I can tell you this because all my guilt and shame are there on the cross. It's gone. I'm Jesus Christ now and my guilt and shame are His. So I, I, I didn't do that because I remembered the love of God. So I watched. Okay? And then after he showered, he was sitting down with me because the other kids, you know, were watching them do their lesson. And initially, okay, if you guys know me, because I have this harsh personality in me that's dominant and distracting sometimes, what, would, what I would have done is I would have gone, as soon as Jason, uh, J, uh, Jacob sat down, I would have said, hey, you were doing that wrong. <laughs> that whole thing was not good. You were not swimming well, Jacob. You were like, like really like doing this and you were like gasping for air. Not good. I was not happy. I'm telling you guys, there was a time that I would have done that to my boy. But because of Jesus' love that reigns in my heart, I remembered. I remembered. And three, two weeks ago, remember? The Grow 2023, remember that? Dr. Ed Gray taught, taught us how to help others without telling them what to do. Without doing what I, would, I was going to do. So what did I do when, when Jacob sat down? When Jacob sat down, I asked him, Hey, how was that? How was swimming today? It was good. Tell, tell me what's good about it. Oh, I was really good at like the, you know, I, I was gliding like really well. Then anything else that you want to say? Yeah, there's some things that I need to work on. Like what? In my mind, I was like, yeah, say it, say it. Well, I couldn't breathe properly, Dad. I couldn't breathe properly. I was like doing the front crawl. I was going any, I wasn't going far. And then I was like going up and then I'm touching the floor. It's not good. What do you think you should do? You see what I did there? I didn't tell him what to do. What do you think you should do? Well, I think I need to work on my rotation. What I was thinking about. Do you see what I did? See what happened there? Do you see what happened there? Patience, kindness. Do you see that? And that is how we encourage people, right? We don't just throw praise nuggets on people. Oh, good job. Pat on the back. We empower them. We let their voice speak for themselves. Do you understand that? That is love. When we look out for the other person. Not for our own good. So, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. It's amazing how Jesus didn't say, you will know that you are my disciples if you have so many people in your church building on Sunday mornings. If you have great programs for, all, for people to use. If you have a great facility in your church building. He didn't say that. Although those things are good, but he didn't say that. He said love is what is going to set us apart. And this is the love of God.
in, in the early 1900s, there's this rabbi, Rabbi Haim in Lithuania. He popularized this allegory of heaven and hell. He said that in heaven, oh, in hell, you know, you look at hell, it's like a big banquet with a lot of food, sumptuous food in hell, yes. But people in hell, hold on. What they had was their arms are firmly attached to long utensils like this. They have such amazing food in front of them, but they can't eat them. That's hell. But in heaven is the same setting. Amazing food. Everybody was there sitting down. They have these things attached to their hands. They can't move them, but they were happy and eating well. You know why? Because they were scooping out food and they were feeding each other. Do you guys see that? Do you guys see now the importance of loving like Jesus? If today you are subject to the gospel, to the good news of Jesus' death on the cross, that now we can shine brightly like a star because we know how loved we are, then please come forward and accept Jesus for yourself in the waters of baptism. Let's stand and sing.